Welcome to Reimagine Mobility Podcast. I'm here with Megan Cotton. She is a software developer for uh, AVL Mobility Technologies. Thanks for joining me, Megan. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's your first per- podcast I just found out. So it is, we're yes. going to have to blast here over the next 20, 25 minutes. <laughs> and maybe to start out with, you started with us in the ADAS space, software development for ADAS space. Mm-hmm. Tremendously growing field. Why ADAS and why software? Why did you ever choose software engineering? <laughs> why did you ever choose ADAS as an area that interests you? Mm-hmm. Maybe give us a perspective there. Yeah, so I actually started in uh, test and development for for ADAS. So okay, um, I helped with validating, you know, the uh, production vehicles or before production and making sure the uh, software and calibration was was good for production, and uh, also helped de- develop and um, like define the operating parameters for. Uh, upcoming ADOS features and mm. and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, you know, most people don't um, that buy new cars don't really know how the ADOS systems work or um, haven't had experience with them before. So it's really important to um, design them and calibrate them so um, they're intuitive, robust, smooth. Uh, you know, things that give the drivers confidence and um, and want them to leave the features on and not uh, disengage uh, disengage them because they're too um, maybe too annoying or mm-hmm. uh, too uh, too aggressive so uh, yeah I worked doing that and defining the expectations for those features and would work with controls engineers and um, design engineers on uh, how to meet those expectations mm-hmm. and so uh, working in that a couple of years, I wanted to pivot and kind of get on the other side of that. Um, to the development side. To the, yeah, to uh-huh. the uh, c- uh, controls development. Controls and, side, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what, what got me here. I had a lot of experience behind the wheel with uh, ADOS and uh, had an expectation of how it would behave. So I had that background and, and came here to start designing uh, controls and, and working cool. on that. So what you described before about features, people are not comfortable, they don't know it, uh, they may not perform perfect or mm-hmm. at least to somebody's personal expectations or they turn it off. I mean, you described my wife. That's exactly what she does. I don't like the adaptive cruise. I don't like this. I don't like that. Just turn it off. And I I turn everything on I can right. and, you know, hands off. I want to see how it works at times. And then put the hands back on, you know, cover my eyes if I have a driver monitoring system to see how fast does it depict. And he's like, you got to stop this. You got to do this. So maybe go back to that a little bit for a moment. How far do you think we have to get still that really more people, even again, somebody like my wife who's driving usually more modern vehicles that has some of those features in it, but still always seems to turn them off, how much further do we have to go as an industry to really get to a point where it's not a question anymore about turning it off. It's a question about why, why not turn it on, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. How, where, where do you see with your background now, both again, in, in helping define and, and make people more comfortable with these things, and now also on the software development side, you have somewhat of a unique perspective, in my opinion, from both ends. 
where do you think we still have to go or how far do we still have to go to 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 get that confidence and and maybe it's just a matter of well, it's just time it's just people need to get used to it it's not a matter of the technology getting better or more reliable or you know instead of 99% it works 99% of the time it has to work 99.99999% mm-hmm. but share a little bit your perspective how you see it personally yeah you know i think um one of the biggest things that i've that i've seen is uh people need to know understand how it works and so i think the big gap there is it might work well or uh, under the right conditions or uh it's meeting uh you know the design parameters it was it was meant to but people don't know what it's uh what to expect from it they mm-hmm. don't know um like the conditions in which for example AEB should be working mm-hmm. i i would get i would read customer feedback sometimes and they'd say I try to run into a wall and it and it didn't stop. Are you and, serious? Yeah, and I like I had to hit the brakes <laughs> and you know that's not what it was it was designed for. So um we're looking for uh classified objects for vehicles or pedestrians or cyclists. Uh it's not going to stop for a wall. It's not going to, you know, stop for a random box which um it's just you need a lot of uh uh data to be able to do that. So mm-hmm. um I think one day we'll get there and maybe that's when people uh that's where the technology needs to be for people to uh uh to trust it or or want it, but I think the biggest gap right now is you get in a car and you turn the button on and and you don't um intuitively know you don't feel a difference necessarily, right? When you turn the button on, right? Yeah, anyway. so yeah. if you have adaptive cruise control on, you don't know uh what are the limitations of this feature at least someone who hasn't been using it and uh at least in my experience most drivers don't actually open the owner's manual to to get the idea mm-hmm. of what the uh feature is capable of so i think um they either expect it to do a lot more than uh than it can do based on you know the sensor limitation um or they they just don't trust it cuz they don't know what it's what it's capable of. So, I think there's just a big disconnect in 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 teaching drivers or um or newer customers um on how to use their vehicles mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that has to do with like the user interface as well. You know, okay. you just have a new icon and sometimes we just, we don't know what it means. Know what that means, yeah. 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 Interesting. I mean, you brought up a point about when you when you shared about the feedback of the customer try to drive it into a wall. I heard a story once. I don't know if that's true or not, but I heard a story when cruise control first came out that uh, a lady was in a minivan driving, put the cruise control on and thought that allows her now to get back and take care of a kid that was crying in the back. And I guess that happened on a highway. Oh no. And luckily that nothing happened, but she found out later was later told that that's not what is this all about this is well before we've talked anything about lane keep or mm-hmm. ab or adaptive cruise or any of the stuff that's out now right so it's interesting so from a software perspective does the way we develop software in the industry has that changed because of what you just explained the perception is of people of of ADAS features or how they use it or have we really kind of we continue to push forward in the journey to get to level 3 level 4 and then ultimately level 5 or have we made some adjustments as it relates to not necessarily the coding language that we mm-hmm. use but features and how we're maybe implementing and again you mentioned the HMI right are we 
more conscientious about that than maybe we were two years ago where we say, well, we put an icon there. Who cares? It's about the AEB function, not about the making the, 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 the driver aware of it. Mm -hmm. ha has software changed in how we develop features because of that or not? Um, like the <clears throat> core software, I would say, has been probably the same, but definitely like the... Um, the user side, that type of software and, and, and design has changed. You, you see more, um, more uh, feedback from the vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, I think before it was kind of just an add-on and now you know, the, the cockpit is designed with this idea that the vehicle will give you, will give you feedback. Um, and in terms of the actual controls, I think you know, uh, making the responses more intuitive, mm -hmm. uh, make the um, driver feel more um, comfortable with how the vehicle's performing. And I think you'll see a lot more of that with, um, with features that include machine learning or things where they can actually learn how the driver wants to drive the vehicle. Yeah. Um, and that's where you'll see the software really, um, the core software change and in terms of how aggressive should I accelerate, how um, how much distance do you like to keep um, to the vehicle in front of you? And you can learn that through, you know, just daily driving. And uh, and then when they, they press cruise control, it will be tailored to them and they don't have to go through a screen with a lot of settings to mm -hmm. tailor to them and then try them out. And so I think uh, over time, yes, we, we will see um, it be more tailored and more intuitive for drivers going okay. forward. Would you say then, then with, with that answer you just given, I assume then that maybe three, four years ago, the HMI portion of ADAS was nowhere near as important as it is today. Mm -hmm. And it was more the function of, or the, the focus on more of, of accuracy of object detection, object avoidance, lane keep, all of, the, all of those features for a level two, two plus, now going into level three. Mm -hmm. Would you say then HMI really has gained a tremendous level of higher appreciation now because of what we've learned over the years as it relates to adaptation? Most definitely. I think you, um, you would have, you know, a lot of, uh, you can see it with the change of like the cluster design as well from mm -hmm. uh, going from an analog to more digital because okay. you, you definitely have more freedom to give that feedback sure. uh, to the driver. I think in newer <laughs> vehicles, I see more and more uh, the ADAS screen keeps getting bigger and bigger and, and giving more <laughs> feedback. And, mm -hmm. and so I think that's like the biggest place you see it. And then you have other companies adding lights and, and the steering wheel or on the side or... Um, Different interfaces, yeah. Uh, yeah, lights or voice or vibration or whatever it might be, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Interesting. So let's maybe pivot a little bit because you also, you also do software for electrification, BMS specifically. Yes. Tell me a little bit, is there a big difference for you as an engineer working on a BMS software versus working on an ADAS? And the reason I'm asking is BMS, let's say, I'm not going to argue what's more important, the ADAS or the BMS, mm -hmm. but the BMS is certainly not as user-facing right. as we just talked about ADAS is. Does that make it more challenging for you does that make it more oh i need to be you know more careful when i do something that's customer facing versus something that's not does it make a difference for you does it not make it does it make it more attractive share a little bit uh, the differences when you look at between adas development and let's say bms development good question 
Yeah. So with, like you said, with, with BMS, it's definitely more behind the scenes mm -hmm. software and it's uh, important for, for safety and uh, lo uh, longevity of the battery and powertrain. But um, I personally think ADOS software, there's a little bit more pressure there because if, pressure? Okay. if uh, you get it a little wrong, it's very obvious. <laughs> it's uh, everybody knows and a little wrong is very wrong. Yeah. You don't have that in BMS. I mean, if you calculate a certain SOX algorithm, that's... It is. It's definitely um, important, of course. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I think you, you just, in terms of... Uh, well, I guess it could be more important because then it's, it's harder to, to find right away. But uh, yeah, BMS is definitely um, challenging as well. And um, in in terms of uh, the actual software that goes in it, it's, it's, it's a lot more than I think people um, realize. On a BMS? Yeah. Mean? Yeah, okay. Um, but it has been, I think, around uh, or more defined. Um, whereas like, I think in ADOS, you kind of have a little bit more liberty and your strategies and everybody does it a little differently. Mm -hmm. And there's like pros and cons to, it, to all sure. those type of ways. Okay. Um, so yeah. Do you have, you kind of mentioned more pressure maybe, right? Mm -hmm. Is there more pressure because not only is it customer facing, but also it's, you can cause a crash, whereas maybe with a BMS, let's say for a moment, the worst that could happen, or let's say what could happen is I, uh, I run out of juice sooner than what the display told me because of a wrong calculation we did, but it's not necessarily a a, a matter of of uh, of life here potentially. We've, we've, on one side you could crash, on the other side you just stranded on the side of the road. Mm. As a software developer, do you think about these things when you write software, or is that you kind of have to? You think about it, but you have to put this aside. Otherwise, you get hesitant and you don't trust yourself. You know what I'm trying to say? Is there something like that? Because I always wondered. I've never done software for ADAS. It's not not my area of expertise, but I always kind of felt like. With some people that I work with, they're always like, well, this is a safety critical thing and I'm really concerned about this. I'd rather work on, a, on an infotainment system. If, if a button doesn't work, a soft button doesn't work, okay. Mm -hmm. But if this feature doesn't work, it potentially can cause a crash where somebody could get injured. Is this something you guys think about or you think about when you write software? I mean, it's definitely, you definitely want to write safe software. Sure. Um, I wouldn't say that it's... Um, it's on my mind the whole time. There's so many uh, testing, so much, so much tests you have to do, and uh, you know, a way to develop the software, a way to develop the feature, um, so you can develop it in the safest way possible. You know, you um, even before you do the controls, you define the feature, you define the limitations, the accelerations, the max um, steering torques, mm -hmm. and you define those in a way that's um, safe or at least can be um, overridden by the driver. So the driver is always in control of mm -hmm. the vehicle. And mm -hmm. by doing that, I think the software, there's not as much um, question uh, as to whether it's safe or not. Um, of course, you still have to do a lot of testing, do simulation, um, do it mill, sill, all the, mm -hmm. all the types of, of testing you can to, to make sure it's behaving within like that design, uh, the design specifications. Okay. Yeah, I think the, the pressure really goes on on designing the feature first. So uh, that's, you know, that's fortunate for, uh, for me now. <laughs> yeah. 
So you talk, you bring up a very good point. There's a lot of obviously processes as an entire tool chain from the definition all the way to the definition of an ADAS feature all the way to the testing and validation of one. Within that tool chain, what is to you the most valuable tool or, or uh, methodology? Let's say, I don't know, you know, I'm thinking about functional safety. I'm thinking about uh, a sill tester, a hill mm-hmm. tester, maybe a vehicle in the loop tester, uh, lots of other things in between that software people are using. What to you are the most valuable tools that you use? Um, good question. I would say, for me personally, I would say it's um, like model in the loop or, yeah. or, or still testing because you can uh, think your your software is doing really well and you design it and maybe it's passing on your small test. But once you, um, you, you model the car and, and run it through a simulation and you see it's actually not stopping <laughs> for, you know, something that... Um, you didn't even think of before you can really catch a lot of issues there and, and make sure your uh, your software is passing all the uh, the software requirements before it even goes into a vehicle mm-hmm. um, and then once you're in the vehicle of course that's that's very important to make sure it's uh, working well uh, with all the other features and dynamically but um, you can get I think so much done in simulation nowadays that um, really cuts uh, a lot of time from the development process. Mm-hmm. And are you doing it on a consistent, almost like agile loop on sprints? So you write software for three weeks, then you test it for two weeks, or, or are you doing it concurrently with the development? You also run a, a model in the background, so to speak, or in parallel to you developing? Share a little bit on, on how you're doing it. Yeah, so um, we usually do uh, model updates and then test that like on a lower level and and make sure the software we were implementing or changing is running the way we we expect it to Mm -hmm. Uh, and then using like the agile process we'll do um integrate everybody's software changes and and uh do a simulation and uh make and to ensure that everybody's is is functioning together appropriately and Mm then um catch a lot of bugs or, or see your work actually working mm-hmm. um, in a very short period of time. So it's yeah. very satisfying. Okay. So cybersecurity has become a big part of automotive space. I would say, again, I think it was big. I would say seven, eight years ago, everybody talked about it. Then it felt like it kind of got, not away, but it went dormant. Now it's really back again and very, very important. Clearly, we know why, because everything gets connected. Everything mm-hmm. is interconnected. The, the vehicle gets more automated right we go to a higher level of autonomy level two plus three now pushing into four on a, on a widespread deployment at least so cybersecurity threats or cybersecurity is a bigger issue how much do you when you write software have changed things or need to change things now from an approach or from a coding uh, perspective with cybersecurity with functional safety as well, ISO 26262, but with functional safety and cybersecurity mm-hmm. now more on the forefront than it may have ever been in history. I think in, in my experience, um, you know, I've been doing controls for like a little under two years. So it's, I think, been on the, on the forefront for like the whole time I've been doing controls. Um, I think the way things are modeled now, you know, you have functional safety, the AutoZar method, mm-hmm. and uh, model-based um, systems approach, where I think 
cybersecurity isn't as much of an afterthought anymore. You kind of bake it into like the um, the controls process. So mm-hmm. um, on a model level, it can be um, implemented there. So it's not like it, it was before, I would say, more of an afterthought that you would go back and try to make it, um, you know, a safer, safer sure. software. So yeah. I think that is the is where you'll see the the biggest change is mainly in the uh, the controls process. It's kind of embedded in 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 um, from the beginning. Okay, okay. So for you, it hasn't been much of a change because you're saying over the last two years that has always been from the get go when yeah. you came from that. Okay, that's that's fair. And maybe last question for you. I I usually ask people that when we specifically talk about technologies. Would you? Would you go back into software engineering again if you could rethink when you graduated from high school, what am I going to do? Or would you say, no, now that what I know now, I would probably go into a different area. Or you say, yes, I would, but instead of going to work, I maybe get my, I don't know, PhD or go into AI or share a little bit like that for some of the people who are listening or watching that maybe try to decide what career path to take. Yeah. I mean, I would. I would do software, would do it again. especially in mobility. I think the experience you get in a in a new vehicle or in, in mobility in general is so tied to the quality of the software mm-hmm. um, in that in in that vehicle. So there's, I think, so much power in the software you design. You can have um, bad software that kind of ruins the the whole experience. So. I I really enjoy um, software and controls and, and would definitely choose it again because you just um, even in the future I think we're we're gonna see that more and more too so um, I think with time software is gonna become even more important and um, you you really do have like the power to control that experience for for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not gonna ask if software is more important than hardware because I know the answer already. So <laughs> yeah. very good. Thank you, Megan, for your time. Yeah, thank you so uh, much for having me. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Reimagine Mobility Podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend.